Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, or click if you have your own little device there before you. If you don't have a Bible, page 811 is where you would need to turn because there's one provided for you in the seats you can just see there. So I'd invite you to do that as well. While you're turning there, just a couple of things. Um, if we haven't as of yet met and you would like to, it'd be my privilege to do that when our time together is ended. And also, as always, if you have a question about what has happened this morning, um, again, at the end of the service, I would be glad to try to answer those questions for you. So we're going to read verse 24 of chapter 9 to the end of the chapter. So it looks like we're going to be able to finish these verses this morning. And then we're going to pray and seek the help that we need from our Father in heaven. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow, please, together. Well, Father, it comes to you as no surprise the great need that we have before you this morning so that we might hear from you in the pages of these verses and your word. May your word of truth then be our meat and drink for the journey that we're about to take. Save us from distractions from unconcern, from half-heartedness and a rebel mind. Father, when it comes to personal evangelism, we cannot be barren in these things in these days. So please, prune us, water us, and oh God, improve us, beginning with myself. As we ask these things in the name of the one who suffered and died in our place, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, As some of you might know, we've been working for these past three weeks, learning from the pages of God's Word of the necessity of personal evangelism in the life of God's true people. And last time in verses 19 to 23, we had three questions, and then we gave three answers to those questions, which underpin the absolute necessity and clearly, and this is important, the means involved in personal evangelism if we are going to meet with it with any degree of success. So last time we had the question to Paul, Paul, what are you doing? And his answer was straightforward. You can see this in your Bible, verses 19 and following. He said, I'm seeking to win as many people as possible. Jesus said that if I follow him, that he'll make me a fisher of men, and I'm following him, and that's what I'm seeking to do, to win as many people as possible to him. Okay, Paul, that's what you're doing, so how are you doing it? And again, he stepped into their world. He started where they were. He got them and he subtracted any part of himself, whether it be his liberties, his freedoms, or his convictions. He said, no, I'll toss them if it got in the way of seeing that people won to Christ. And so therefore in verse 22b, he says, by all possible means, but not any means at all. Huge difference. 
So Paul said, I'm not changing the gospel. I'm not changing the moral law. I'm just changing me. I'm changing me when the person needs this to win them to him. So I become their servant, not their condemner. I become, and this is the point here, I become multicultural. That is not a dirty word. I become multicultural for the sake of the gospel. Because, we said it last time, we'll say it again. The only cultural divide there should be between the Christian and the world is the forgiveness of our sins. And in the realm of personal evangelism, Jesus never asked the pagan to cross that divide. He asked the Christian to go to them and to win them to him. So, for example, we all have our people that it's a little bit harder to cross that divide. So what about the fancy lady? Right? Who's going to go to the fancy lady? She's dressed to the nines. She might be a little difficult to get along with. Who's going to go to her and tell her about Jesus? Final question then from Paul was, okay, Paul, why are you doing this? And you can see this in verse 23 if your Bible is open. It's a lovely answer. It's a beautiful answer. I do it for the sake of the gospel, yes, but I want to see the reality of the good news of Jesus Christ reaching as many people as possible. I want them to be part of God's family. I want to enjoy their company in public worship. I want to worship Jesus alongside of them. I want to serve Jesus alongside of them. I want to share in gospel blessings. And if you think about that, that is the most basic part of Christianity. It's simply Christian love. It's a divine gift from God to us that we extend to others. And now then, as we consider the closing verses in chapter 9 this morning, it seems awfully clear that the Corinthian church, spiritually speaking, was incredibly out of shape. They were, if you were, if you would, uh, spiritually flabby. They wanted the crown, but they would not carry the cross. They wanted a pleasant existence more than the personal training and the per- personal changes that they needed to make in effective personal evangelism to win the prize. Paul tells them, you must become a slave to all if you're going to win anyone at all. And they found this troubling. So we ask ourselves, in this context, in Itasca County, have we even begun to think of ourselves as a slave and servants of our fellow men and women and young people for the sake of the gospel to see them won? I mean, we're thinking locally this morning. It gets one thing overseas, but it's here now. Are we becoming their servants and slaves? And so if one would reply to this, well, that might be fine for you. People like you should do that, but it's not fine for me. Then one is simply saying that they do not believe the biblical gospel. They're saying that I'm not going to have any reverence for Jesus. I don't have any love for others. And rewards really don't matter. And you know what? I'm just here to get into heaven. And that's about it. Now, surely, I have I hope we would all agree that that is a horrible, self-centered way to live. That is not the mind of Christ. Timothy Keller, he's a pastor, and actually it's in New York City. He has a book, it's called Preaching. And this is what it says in part of the book. He says that when we preach from God's word to postmodern men and women, this is their primary mindset. Number one, we are our own authority Number two, we create our own reality. Number three, we are free to live as if we see fit. Number four, because now matters most. That can never be. That can never be the Christian way. Think with me. If that kind of radical individualism permeates a church, at least two things will happen. It was happening in God's church in Corinth 
but we'll say it like this. Number one, no meaningful soul winning, right? Maybe spurts here and there, but not consistently. Number two, they, the church, then will individually construct their own moral standard that either does not involve soul winning or just gives soul winning kind of a lip service. And so they create their own little subculture, right? Remember, this was happening in Corinth. We like Paul. We like Peter. We like Apollos. We like this. We like that. We go there. We go there. They create their own little subculture so that it becomes impossible for the average person to break into that world. Therein, the outsider, if they want to fit in, has to change everything about them when Paul is saying, no, no, it has to be the other way around. And we've got to think that through. So then as Paul writes these words, he's simply making the point that to advance the gospel as a preacher as part, or as part of God's church, it is a costly manner, uh, matter. excuse me. But it has a tremendous eternal reward. So he explains the price. He shows us that he's paying the price. And then he invites the church to do the same. And so you can see there in verse 24, in order to do that, he, he makes an illustration. It's a good illustration. It's one of Paul's favorite illustrations, that of the athlete. He likes to talk about farmers and soldiers and athletes. So that's our first point, number one, his illustration. So there can't be any doubt at all that if the ESPN Sports Network um, were in first century Corinth, it would flourish. The city was a wealthy city, and because it was a wealthy city, it had the time and it had the means to be captivated by sports. So much so that there were the Isthmian Games there, second only to the Olympic Games, and they were held in Corinth on a regular basis. So for Paul to speak of running, verse 24a, training, verse 25, and winning, verse 24b, that was to make an easy connection in the minds of his readers. So let's just do that. Let's begin with running, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize. So it's a rhetorical question. It's a, it's a plain answer for the Corinthian person. Of course we know that. Runners run to win. In Greece, at the age of seven, male boys were put through their paces on a daily basis in the world of athletics, which involved a heavy emphasis on gymnastics, running, and swimming in cold rivers and lakes. They were graded daily, and the overarching goal, why they did what they did in this, this way was, and I'm quoting here, so that the Greek family could have a boy with a noble soul and a beautiful body and perhaps compete in the games. And that is why they did what they did. Nice looking boys, noble quality, and perhaps a little bit of family glory, right? So, that was true of the boys, but what about for the girls? Well, in some places in Greece, it was the same thing. For example, Sparta, also at the age of seven. Little girls would be trained in running, spear throwing, and wrestling. So, as you think about it, the average mom and dad in the 21st century is similar to the average Greek mother and dad in the first century. They were running around taking their kids to practices all the time, right? Okay, so the parents' objective for their daughters to take them to all those places was this, and I'm going to quote again, so that these girls could become healthy mothers of a race of soldiers. Okay, so that was the Spartan family purpose for their girls. Women of healthy stock to create little warriors, if you would. All right. Anybody seen the movie 300? 
There you go. I was thinking as a, husband, uh, as a father of a daughter, healthy women to fight off the boys, right? But that's a whole other thing. So, again, no one in Corinth would be in any doubt, okay, Paul would say, don't you know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? They knew what the answer to that question would be. Of course we know this, Paul. So that's a test of a good illustration, right? It, its effectiveness is related to the point that it's trying to uh, give and the point that's trying to be received by the people. Now, one writer writes how this culture was so consumed with sports by saying, and again I'm quoting, the masses demanded only two things of the political establishment of their day, bread and games. By day they stood about idle, in the evening they watched sports. (laughs) Some things just don't change, right? Now, in this illustration, Paul not only talks about running, but he also talks about training. There was some training necessary if you're going to compete in the games. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And so in order for someone to compete in those Isthmian games, they had to participate in a 10-month pre-game training. Their training was supervised and it, it was recorded so that if the individual wanted to compete, they had certain standards to meet, they had certain training they had to do, and if they did that, then they could compete. In other words, if they didn't practice, they couldn't play. And again, the readers in Corinth knew that in much the same way that we would know, if someone was really good at what they did in the games, they did not become that way by sitting around doing nothing, or they did not become that way by not listening to their trainers and their coaches. If they were really good, they didn't. If they were really bad, at least two things were sure. Either one, they weren't training, or two, they were training any way they liked. So this was strict supervision. In fact, the Greek word there used for um, strict is actually the English word self-control. So you were constraining the self in the training to uh, compete to win the prize. So if you're going to be a successful athlete, you had to control yourself, restrain yourself, do what the coach said, show up if you're going to have any success at all. So you're with me, right? Running, training, now winning. So obviously the prize matters. They were in it to win it, right? We are here to win. In the smaller contest that led up to the games, many prizes were passed out. Everybody got a ribbon in the smaller contest. But in the major one, in the Isthmian games, the prize was given by way of a crown and only one person could get that crown. The crown was made of pine or parsley or laurel or some combination of all three. Therefore, these athletes, they worked hard. They trained hard. They did what was required. They did what was told. They competed, but only one could win. But, and here's the thing, the crown they received, and this takes us right to our second point, is application. The crown that they received had an expiration date. Now, before we get to that, remember now, Paul is not talking that there's only one crown so that we're all going to fight over it. That's not what he's saying. There's plenty of crowns. He's just using this as an illustration. The point here is that the athlete goes through all that running and all that training for what? Quickly faded personal glory, right? As soon as the material for the crowns are cut, the lifespan of the crown begins to fade. This is his application then. If these athletes 
who practice an amazing level of self-control just to receive leaves on their head, just to receive applause which will pass away, just to have a memory that eventually will be no more. If that is the case, is the Christian going to do any less with the prospect of an imperishable crown and eternal glory, 1 Peter, waiting for us in heaven? That's his line of thinking. That's his application. Okay, now you might think that at that point, because the church in Corinth is so spiritually flabby that he's really going to let them have it. What in the dickens are you guys doing? You're not running. You're not training. You're not fishing for men and women. There's no gospel advancement. You haven't evangelized in such and such day. What is happening to you? You would think that he would do that. But he doesn't do that. He's a good man. And he starts with himself. He does what all preachers should do before they ever preach to the congregation. They preach to themselves. So then his first personal application is just that, personal. So look at your Bibles, verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like this. Verse 26b, I do not fight like this. Verse 27, I beat my body. So clearly then, Paul recognizes the unique danger of someone in his position. And he recognizes this by showing two concerns. He has a worry and he has a restraint. So you can see that in the notes. His worry and his restraint. His worry is verse 27b. So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now think about this. Paul has been on many a missionary journey. He's traveled the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. But how large is his humility here? He understands that there's a way for him, even as hard as he works, to be disqualified for the prize. Now, he's not saying ultimately that he somehow could lose his salvation as you look at the end verse there. We're going to get into that more, Lord willing, next time in chapter 10. But what he is saying is that a person headed to heaven can carry out their services to Jesus Christ by their own power, for their own glory, at their own pace. And when the day ends and the rewards are given out, that person has nothing, nothing to show for it. Why? Well, he ran for the wrong reasons. He ran with the wrong power. And Paul, understanding this in 1 Corinthians 3, which we'll read in just a moment, he understands that his service for Jesus Christ, just like all of us here, it's going to be tested by fire. See, on that day, we'll know. So yeah, one might do what they're supposed to do, but they drank from the wrong well. They did it for the wrong reasons. Their motivation, their power, their reasons were all personal and Paul's worry then, for him, is a real worry. He doesn't want to, if you would, be the one at the race who carries the clipboard, looks very important, but actually never runs. And if he does run, he never runs by the rules. So he can't get a prize. In fact, he doesn't want to be the one who just gives out the rules, right? Oh, you got to do this. Hey, you got to do this. But then when the race is about to begin... He never makes it to the starting line. He never runs, so he never wins. He doesn't want to be the ones that with the trumpet or the firing gun, he's dressed like his running clothes, and it appears, it, he, he looks like a runner. I mean, he's on that line, he looks like a runner. But he never runs, so he never competes. He never gets the prize. Paul says, this is my worry, that after I preach to other people, that I'm disqualified for the prize. 
So let's just say, for example, here I am behind the box. Personal evangelism, personal evangelism. And then when I leave the box, I go home, have a nice glass of lemonade, a warm pretzel, but I'm not engaging anyone one-on-one in my context on any level whatsoever of the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm not telling anybody their need to repent. I'm not telling anyone of the coming judgment. I'm not telling anyone of the love of God expressed in the death of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. Either I'm never doing that or doing it, but it's only for personal gain. Then no prize. Listen to the Bible, 1 Corinthians 3.12. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. So you don't get graded until the end. That's why we don't make too many judgments now. You don't get graded to the end. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. And you see, that's Paul's worry. Okay, he'll make it to heaven, but I'll make it to heaven with, a, if you would, a scorched bottom, right? The title of the talk, if you don't run, you can't win. Yeah, but running doesn't automatically assure you of winning. You contrast that with 2 Peter 1.10. Listen to the Bible. Brothers and sisters, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. If you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive, and here's the key, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right? So we're all, Lord willing here, we're all going to enter into heaven. How are we going to get in? With a burning bottom or with a rich welcome? Paul clearly wants a rich welcome. He doesn't want to call into question his election. He wants the prize. So he runs the right way for the right reason so that he will not be disqualified. And loved ones, you're sensible people. Let's think this out. If that was a real concern for the Apostle Paul, should it be any less of a concern for you and I this morning? Right? And wouldn't you be troubled if you thought, you were thinking, you know, I don't care how I get to heaven as long as I get to heaven. It's all I want as long as I get in. Can I ask you, is that the spirit of Jesus? Is that the mind of Christ? So we have to ask ourselves, how are we doing with the running? How are we doing with the training? How are we doing with the winning? Are we just dressed like runners? But we never actually ran? And you got the clipboard and you point it around and you look qualified. You look like it, but there's no running. There's no winning. If our life ended today and, and, and it was over, what is waiting for us in heaven? It concerned Paul. It should concern us. Paul's worry, I want the prize. I don't want to be disqualified. Okay, then the second thing is his restraint. This makes complete sense. He needs to restrain himself if he's going to get the prize. The word there is soma, flesh. We'll get into more of that in just a moment. But he understands that there is no way that he can live out all his freedoms full full tilt and live out all his luxuries full tilt, have every one of his rights full tilt, never uh, dabbling with the need for repentance in my sin. He says, there's no way I can still do all that and gain the prize. He knows, and I'm going to quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones, our fallen nature is so supremely, distinctly self-centered that we don't think we are. 
So lack of self-denial, sin left unchecked and unrepentant, to embrace self-indulgence, to, to live just a flat moral life, right? Being good for goodness sake, no, re- no, no evangelistic reasons. To do all that kills the Christian evangelist. It kills it. And then it makes the prize unreachable. So Paul knows he must restrain himself. Well, how is he going to do that? Well, look at verse 26. I do not run like a person running aimlessly. Now, the word aimlessly in the Greek has actually two meanings. One, I don't run like a person unseen. Paul says, I am running now knowing that eyes are watching me. So I'm going to run correctly and I'm going to run purposely. Okay, Paul, who is watching you? Well, it's pretty plain. Jesus is watching Paul. The Corinthian church is watching Paul. And the watching world is watching Paul. And it's the exact same thing for all of us. Christ is watching us. The church is watching us. And the world is watching us. I read an article from the online magazine Spectator. It's May 30th, 2015. It was written by an atheist, Matthew Perry, who was bemoaning the fact, and I'm quoting from him now, time was when there were quiet, understated men of God, often wearing bifocals, who could show us atheists and moral relativists a decent fight and that eternal debate of God's existence and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. He writes on and says, where are the Christian evangelists? Where are the Christian apologists in Britain? Now hold that in your mind. Roughly three weeks later, the same magazine, different article, title, 2067, The End of British Christianity. And the article states how the data was pointing to the fact that the Church of England is in decline. In fact, it's in such decline that 2067 is their projection. Now, we know that Jesus will not let his church be defeated, but we understand what they're trying to say. So, see, Paul knows that eyes are on him. He won't run aimlessly. Jesus is watching. The church is watching. And the world is watching. Okay, that's the first meaning of the word aimlessly in verse 26. The second meaning of the word is, I think, more important, probably more to the point. So Paul runs then, this is the idea, with a certain goal in mind. Okay, I bet you know what the goal is. Paul, why do you run? Well, this is my reason. In the context where I've been put, I want to see as many people won on an individual basis to faith in Jesus Christ. The goal for me is soul winning. That's the priority. That's how the prize is one. So Paul would say, if I need to change me to win the prize because the soul winning well is dry, I'm going to change me. I'll make restraints in my life. I'll consider my life whether to the degree it will help me succeed in the main thing of winning souls to Jesus Christ. Now, loved ones, please listen carefully. That's why personal evangelism is second to public worship to the basic behavior of the Christian. That's it. Those two things. You do those things good, you're well on your way. Personal evangelism and public worship is not exceptional behavior. I've been thinking about this in my mind. I'm just going to throw out to you. So let's say mom and moms and dads, you tell your kids to take out the garbage. You say, I'm going to be gone. When I come home, please, I want the garbage taken out. You come home, The garbage is not taken out. You come home and you say, what did you do? And your child says, well, listen, you know, 
I was thinking about it, and I was thinking that there's a whole lot of people who don't have garbage cans. So I made this chart of people who don't have garbage cans. And first thing tomorrow morning, I'm going to get out the word and get people garbage cans. Did you take out the garbage? No. But it's okay. I'm really sad at the fact that people don't fill up their garbage cans. So I'm going to have this new initiative to get the garbage cans filled. Did you take out the garbage? No. Please. Please. All I want you to do is take out the garbage. Personal evangelism. Public worship. Those are the priorities. That's what the Christian is to be immersed in. And so Paul is unashamed about this. He wants to run in a way that gets him the prize. He, he doesn't, again, want to be one of those guys who looks like he's in the race. You know, he's got terrifically cool shoes. He's got energy gels and water packets and headbands and everything that you could want. It seems like he's going to run. I saw him stretch out over there a minute ago. When the race starts, he doesn't run. He doesn't run. The second restraint, verse 26b, is he says no to shadow boxing. So Paul gives another illustration of that which would have taken place in the Isthmian Games, boxing. He says, I do not fight like a man beating the air. In other words, I'm not going to fight when nothing really is accomplished. This is pretend. So when Paul writes in verse 27, I beat my body, to understand how serious Paul is about this, that little phrase literally means I give my body a black eye. I give my body a black eye. In the Isthmian games, if you were going to win at boxing, there was only two ways you could do it. One, you had to knock the person out. Or two, the person had to give up. If you were going to knock the person out, most of us know that one of the best places to hit the person is right around this area. An uppercut to the eye. So Paul is speaking figuratively here, right? This is figurative language. This is what I do to my body. If I'm going to win the prize... If I'm going to win people to Jesus Christ, I beat my body down. I beat my flesh down. Now stay with me. I beat down Galatians 5. Here are the lists, some of the lists of the works of the flesh. I beat down sexual immorality. I beat down impurity. I beat down greed, hate, rage, competitiveness, selfish ambition, envy, faction, drunkenness. I've been to a lot, well, a whole lot, oh yeah, okay, I've been to a lot of evangelistic, evangelistic uh, seminars, read a lot of evangelistic books. By and large, everything that I went to and everything that I read, they never told me this. They never told me that the secret to this idea, to beat your body down, is to deal with your sin, right? They give techniques about public evangelism or personal evangelism, this is the way you approach people, all that stuff, good, fine, wonderful, terrific. But God says, if you want to win, immorality, impurity, greed, hate, rage, compatibleness, selfish ambition, envy, faction, drunkenness, and the like. Now, does that sound like self-help to you? Does that sound like self-esteem to you? It doesn't because it isn't. It's something completely different. Paul says, I realize that I'm the one with the problem. The problem is me, not someone else. What will keep me from winning the prize is me, not someone else. Therefore, Paul says, I'm going to have to restrain me. If I'm going to win, I'm going to have to take back me. So if someone asks Paul, Paul, what is the biggest hindrance to you and successful personal evangelism? Paul would say, I am my biggest hindrance. It's me. Therefore, I'm going to have to beat down my lust. And if it's true for Paul, the same is true for you and I. Right? The same is true for you and I. 
You and I are our biggest hindrance in personal evangelism. Some people might make excuses, right? The right moment never came. I wasn't led to talk with them. The moment never presented itself. Okay, fine, fine. But that could be another way of doing first, verse 27 in reverse. My body, my soma, my flesh is simply not under my control. Listen to your Bibles, Romans 6, 10 and following. The death Christ died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lived to God. In the same way, Christian, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of your body Break, not to impurity, not to sexual immorality, not to greed and hate and rage and ambition and envy and faction and all that stuff. No, offer yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Personal holiness is in by large measure the key to personal evangelism. Says Moffat on this, with the single-mindedness of an athlete, we must lay aside every harmful thing and forsake even the good thing that may distract us from being effective Christian evangelists. So, so think with me about this restraint. Why do you think in the garden, Jesus was in such anxiety in the garden, right? Later on, he could say, I could call in legions of angels and I could take hold of this whole situation. It would be over. But he had to restrain himself. Why? For the sake of the gospel, to do his duty, to run his race, to receive his kingdom, to get the crown. To get the crown. First point, illustration. Pretty plain. Second point, application. Personal first. And then he takes it to the congregation. We have to run with a purpose. We can't be running, pretending that we're running. We've got to run to win. Strict training. Restrain yourself. And guess what? If you run to the end this way, a reward will be waiting for you that will be worth it. Right? It'll be worth it. And, and you've, you know, what I would do is I'd sit down sometime in the week and I'd think about the reward about the crown given to me by Jesus, I'd go through that in my mind a few times. And think about that day. Think about that day. Finally, final point, his exhortation. Well, his exhortation is pretty plain, isn't it? And I've been kind of weaving it in and out of the sermon. Verse 24, last sentence. Okay, you can't win if you don't run. So run in such a way that gets the prize. Right? Run in that way. And that is a tremendous argument, isn't it? What a rebuke and what an argument. The Corinthian church was reckless, listless, inactive, and the most basic of Christian privileges, personal evangelism. They thought that it was okay. I could indulge myself to the very verge of sin, swim in it. I could use all my liberties, all my freedoms, just throw out my convictions and have people say, deal with me and still win the prize. And what Paul is doing now is he's taking the Christian life seriously. He's in this intense struggle to win people to Jesus. So he restrains his flesh. He tosses his freedoms to gain his prize. A prize that will never perish. So we need some examples, right? And let me just give you one and then we'll be done. Eric Little. 
I mean, some of you might know who Eric Little is. He was immortalized in the movie uh, Chariots of Fire, 1981. Four Academy Awards, one of which was Best Picture. So the story was, in 1984, Olympics would begin. He runs the 100-meter uh, run. That's his chief run. So the preliminaries for the 100-meter was on a Sunday. As a matter of principle, he would not run on a Sunday. The national newspapers called him a traitor. He was their best hope to win the gold. It seemed like all of Europe was against him. Even the Prince of Wales tried to get Eric to change his mind. But to Eric Little, God was first. His own desires and the desires of his country would have to be second. So through a series of events, he was offered a space to compete in the 400-meter run. He hadn't trained for it. He was a sprinter. It was a different kind of race altogether, but he decides to run. In fact, the day of the meet, he was almost late to the finals. In his hand on that day, July 11th, 1924, on his way to the Coliseum, he remembered a note was given to him by one of his trainers. He enters the Coliseum, he opens up the note, and the note says this. The good book says, I will honor those who honor me. Best wishes. So the 400 meter race starts. The first 200 meters, Eric Little is, no surprise, he's in the lead. He was a sprinter. They expected him to do that. But the prevailing thought was, okay, yeah, he'll lead in the beginning, but there's no way that he's going to be able to keep up the pace to the end. He did, and he won world record, Olympic record. The newspaper said it was his last 50 meters that won him the race. The last 50 meters. In fact, his last 200 meters, were ran, he ran faster than his first 200 meters. In later years, he went to China as a missionary. Writing as a missionary to uh, a question that was asked of him, how did you break the 400 meter record? This is what he wrote. The secret of my success is that I ran the first 200 meters as hard as I could. And then with God's help, I ran the second 200 even harder. And I need to say to some of you, some of us have run our first 200 meters. And we've had a good go at it. We've had some successes. But what about the last 200 meters? We had a great start, fine. But here we are, right? Here we are. Some of us have 300 meters left. Some of us have 200, 150. Are we prepared to let, run our last few meters with God's help harder than the first? And can I ask you, is that the prevailing thought in our day? Is it the prevailing thought? And we know this to be true. Hold back, pull up. You're almost there. The biblical thought is what? Are you prepared to reposition your life? Your career, your desires, your dreams, your ambitions to give up all things, beat down our flesh, run for the sake of the gospel, make the tape, and win the prize. Who's going to do that? Young people? You going to do that? My retired friends? All that time, good provision, the burden of the workaday world completely removed. You can do it. God wants you to do it. With God's help, you can run. My colleagues on the elder board, we can do it. We've got to run. We can do it. Church, I can't leave anybody out, right? 
We can do it. God will help us. We will run. Because we can't win if you don't run. Do you remember what happened down here just a few minutes ago with the kids in the kingdom? Remember? And we said that if Jesus was going to be our beloved, then Jesus would have to do it. So let's just take that in the realm of personal evangelism. Are we going to be pretending like we're evangelizing? You know, waving our arms, looking like we're doing stuff, but never actually winning? Are we going to look in the mirror and say, I'm just going to try so much harder today. I'm going to try so much harder because I know I can do this. If I can do this, I know I can do it. Or, and this is what I'm going to do today, do we cast ourselves on the mercy of God and say, God, if you don't help me, then there is no way that I can evangelize the way I need to to run that race to win the prize. You see? Huge difference. It's the gospel difference. We can't win if we don't run. If we don't run. Let's, let's bow together. Father, Please be at work in all of us that need it more and more in these things. Give us the strength to do what we could never do for ourselves. Be our vision, be our dignity, be our example and delight. But God, be active to the degrees we find it necessary in the realm of personal evangelism to win to win as many people as possible. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.